Having those conversations with my family members really made me realize that this was such an important story to take on, that I deserve to know the truth about what happened to my dad and how it affected his life and how it affected mine. But also, I wasn't the only one. Every Indigenous person in, in Canada and in the United States is affected by this legacy, and we don't know anything about it. That was Connie Walker talking about her 2023 DuPont Award-winning podcast, Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. Welcome to another episode of On Assignment from Columbia Journalism School. My name is Abby Wright. I'm the executive director of the Professional Prizes Program here, and I am joined once again by my friend and colleague, Lisa R. Cohen, director of the DuPont Columbia Awards. Hello, Lisa. Hey, Abby. That podcast has really stuck with me. You know, you may have heard stories of either the U.S. or the Canadian government forcing indigenous children into residential schools to strip them of their culture. Maybe even some stories about the abuse that occurred there. But this series told it as a very personal story, in fact, about Connie's own family that was both investigative and struck deep to the heart. It really did. It's so engrossing and informative and moving. And we're not the only people who felt that way because Connie and her team first won the DuPont Award back in February. And then more recently, they won a Peabody Award and then a Pulitzer all in the same week. So it's the trifecta. It's whatever an EGOT would be for public service reporting. You know, Connie and her team are just the goat this year. (laughs) I know. I'm sure that those prizes will look very nice right up there next to the DuPont Silver Baton the shiny, shiny baton, um, which is a great transition to tell our listeners that we are heading into the home stretch of our DuPont submission window. The deadline is July 1st at 11.59 p.m. to be precise. That's really soon. Lisa, where can people find out more information about how to enter their best reporting for this prestigious award? I'm glad you asked me that question. If this episode inspires you that you're about to hear, and we think it will, you should go to www.dupont.org and enter your best audio or video reporting in the public interest, whether it be broadcast, documentary, or online, which of course includes podcasts. Yes, indeed. So today we're going to share a conversation that we had with Connie back in 2022 when we were lucky enough to give her the good news that she was a 2023 DuPont winner. And Lisa, as you recall, she was really moved. And then we went on to have a truly fascinating conversation about her reporting, her process, and the podcast. That's right. The series, which investigates these ongoing claims of physical and sexual abuse at one particular Canadian residential school, deals with incredibly difficult subject matter. And in our conversation, we were able to talk about all the ethical dilemmas that Connie encountered while reporting it. Yeah. In fact, Connie was a 2019 Ockberg Fellow here at Columbia Journalism School's DART Center for Journalism and Trauma, which is a week-long fellowship designed to help journalists navigate their reporting on difficult subjects like the one in this podcast. Right. A few things we should mention before you listen, just to give you context. You will hear Connie talk about the Oblates. The Oblates is an order of Catholic priests that ran 48 residential schools throughout Canada 
including St. Michael's. You'll also hear her talk about IAP records. The IAP, or the Independent Assessment Process, was designed as a way for survivors to get compensated for the abuse they faced at these residential schools without having to go to court. So they were asked to document and testify about their traumatic experiences in front of governmental lawyers. Okay, so let's get into it. This is an edited version of our conversation with Connie Walker. Thank you so much for doing this. We're both big fans of the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So for those people who haven't yet listened to the series, can you do like a thumbnail what this is? Sure. Um, Stolen Surviving St. Michael's is really a story about my father, Howard Cameron. He was a Cree man from Treaty 6 territory in Saskatchewan. And when he was six years old, he was sent to the St. Michael's Indian Residential School. And our podcast was really, in a lot of ways, a personal journey for me to learn about my father and learn about what he experienced at the St. Michael's Indian Residential School. But it became a lot bigger than that. You know, we ended up doing an investigation into not only the abuse that my father experienced at St. Michael's, but really trying to get a sense of just how widespread the abuse was at that particular school. And what we were able to uncover, you know, really was shocking and devastating, not only because of my personal connection to the story, my dad and all of his brothers and sisters, and actually four generations of my family went to St. Michael's. But I think that when you think of the fact that this was one out of over a hundred schools that ran across the country for over a hundred years, And you think of the generations of Indigenous families who have been impacted by not only the abuse that they experienced in residential schools, but the intergenerational effects as well. It's devastating, but it, you know, as as an investigative journalist, it also felt really important for me to take on this work to help expose the truth. That's great. So um, the other piece of this conversation is we have some news. And that is that Stolen Surviving St. Michael's is a winner of the 2023 DuPont Columbia Awards. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. I have goosebumps. Congratulations. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I'm so, this is wild. This is incredible. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to win an award like this for your work, for you? I mean, I think that for our team, this was such a, you know, a difficult story to tackle for so many reasons, but also something that we're incredibly proud of. And to be recognized by um, the DuPont Columbia Awards is just, you know, an incredible honor. And I, 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 I can't even put it into words how much it means. The reality is that so many of these stories have not been told, that we don't understand the full truth of the Indian residential school system, but also how it's continuing to impact families and communities. And as journalists, you know, we had this really, really difficult task of wanting to report on it as as fully as we possibly could. And we all know how difficult it is to report on historical stories in general. But when you're talking about, you know, sexual and severe physical abuse that Mm -hmm. happened decades ago, it's extremely hard to get 
you know, the documentation and corroboration that's needed to do the kind of reporting that we wanted to do. And the fact that we were able to, to then find lawsuits that we needed to really shine a light and expose what happened at this one single school is something that we're incredibly proud of. And the fact that it's being recognized by the DuPont Columbia Awards is... <laughs> This is the best news. I just can't even, <laughs> I'm so excited. This is the fun part of our job. So how long did you work on this series? I mean, so much of it is about the, the school system and your own community and your own family. Was that a challenge when you were thinking about structuring the episodes or as you kind of did the reporting? Tell, talk to us about the process. Yeah, well, you know, it was a long process. It was a, almost a year in total. And I think it went really slowly at the beginning because this is really something that we didn't talk about in not just my family, but so many families of survivors don't know about their parents or grandparents' experiences in these schools. And so we really wanted to take a trauma-informed approach. And this is also why I feel like this award in particular is, is so incredible because I was an Ockberg Fellow uh, a couple of years ago, oh. and that experience was honestly transformative. Like I say that with total sincerity, because even though it was only a week, the time that I spent learning from not just the other fellows and, and the colleagues, but from the journalists that were brought in and the experts in science and psychology personally impacted me on so many levels. But it also changed the approach that I take in my work. You know, I really realized through that week just what a healing experience telling your story can be. As long as you have agency and you have a safe space and you're treated with respect. And that was something I had always aspired to do, but I was also always so concerned about bringing up trauma with people and weighing, you know, the public service of the work that we do with the potential harm that it could cause people and really informed the way that we approach this story. I blocked it out for years and years. Then one day, I remembered it. And at that time when I was being beaten, I don't know if I cried. But when it came back to me, I cried and cried and cried. How do you feel talking about it now? Are you are you feeling okay? Mm-hmm. You okay? Yeah. My father passed away 10 years ago, so I wasn't able to learn directly from him about his experiences, but he was one of 16 siblings to go to that school. And so all of my aunts and uncles had a similar experience. And so I started asking them, and those were really sensitive conversations at first, really, really delicate conversations. And every time I was kind of surprised when not only were they uh, willing to talk about it, but actually seemed to want to talk about it. And we had conversations that lasted hours. And having those conversations with my family members really also made me realize that this was such an important story to take on, that 
I deserve to know the truth about what happened to my dad and how it affected his life and how it affected mine. But also, I wasn't the only one. Every Indigenous person in, in Canada and in the United States is affected by this legacy, and we don't know anything about it. It's, you know, it's 2022, and we're just learning the truth now. And it's far, it's far too late. And, and it really made me feel that there was an urgency to tell this story. And the fact also that so many survivors of St. Michael's have, have passed away and the window is closing for them to be able to share and for us to learn. In your series, the story, the narrative, the storytelling really is so strong and um, it's a great vehicle to investigate such a critical topic. So it's like- That's what I love about podcasting. I really- I love that you can feel like you're peeling back the curtain and be transparent about your process. And that so much, you know, of, of our narrative arc is actually just relying on the chronology of our investigation. And I remember, you know, working in, in TV for all those years and feeling like, you know, we did a lot of work on the back end. We researched a story for weeks, sometimes maybe months, and then we presented it. And with audio and with podcasting, it's like, we can start at the beginning and I'm taking you with me and here we go. And here's what we're, you know, we're, we're learning now in real time. And, and I love that idea, especially in this era of kind of mistrust of the media. I feel like transparency is so important to what we do and getting to, to show people the process of, of our journalism is one of my favorite things about, you know, telling audio stories. And the other thing that's so great about what you were able to do is that it does allow for the narrative to get woven through the issue itself and the bigger picture. I mean, you you expanded this story and you took on the whole, the legacy of what was happening in the whole country. There were these other lawsuits. Um, the, the episode in which you describe what it was like to research these boxes and boxes and boxes of documents and material. Throughout this investigation, I've been trying to find corroboration for these allegations. And then a month ago, I found something, a set of records that name Father Gauthier. Court documents from a lawsuit filed in 2000 by my uncle Ivan Cameron against the Oblates and the Canadian government. His statement of claim details what he says Father Gautier did to him at St. Michael's, starting at the age of seven. And a warning, what it says is difficult to hear. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? I think that for, for us, we were really motivated by what survivors told us and wanting to be able to include as much of that as we could. Because these historical stories happened decades ago, one of our reporters, actually, Chantelle Belrichard, she had this fantastic idea of actually trying to find the lawsuits that so many survivors filed before there was a settlement. Um, and so we filed a, an access to information uh, request to the Canadian government, the Department of Justice, and we received uh, file numbers for all of the St. Michael survivors lawsuits. And then we traveled across uh, the country back to Saskatchewan to various courthouses 
in, in order to view these documents. And that was happening after we had launched the podcast already, weeks before the episode was, was meant to be out. And so there was a time crunch, but there was also this feeling of urgency that this was such important material that we needed to include. And so our whole team really kind of came together and sprang into action and traveled to Saskatchewan and went to these courthouses and stood among these, you know, these boxes and these files and these documents. It was a really surreal experience, honestly, because we were there and we had such a limited amount of time. We're trying to just photograph every single page as quickly as you can, but you're also reading, you know, you're reading that a child was four years old when they were taken, was six years old when they were taken. Uh, You're reading about, you know, some of the most horrific graphic depictions of terrible abuse that they endured as children, that they were recalling as adults, you know, also sharing how it had impacted their entire lives, how it impacted their ability to be parents, how it impacted their ability, you know, to be grandparents. And, and And it was just a devastating thing to be reading. There was one claim where a survivor talked about having a nun come into the dorm room regularly in the middle of the night. And this nun would come in, wake her up, and then bring her into a priest's room where she would then be sexually abused. Another St. Michael survivor claimed that after a priest named Father Eugene Labonte molested her, she tried to tell a nun what happened. But instead of believing her, They told her to go apologize to Labonte for accusing him. They said he worked for Jesus. There's so many sensitivities you're dealing with when you're talking about revealing childhood trauma and childhood abuse specifically. And because so many of the survivors had passed away, you know, we were also grappling with all of the ethical issues around um, how much of their story could we could we use? Should we use? We you know we hadn't been given permission explicitly by every survivor. We wanted to protect their privacy, but but we also wanted to expose the truth of what happened at this school and the decades of abuse that was consistent throughout. And and so that was you know those are really difficult decisions that were made. And and for me, it's it's obviously professionally been such an important story in my life and in my career. But personally, it it has really honestly, although it was incredibly difficult, felt like such a huge gift for me because, uh, you know, I think that through these conversations with my aunts and uncles, I, I really feel like I got to know my father in a new way. I wasn't that close to him when, when he passed away, but not only did I feel like I, I got to know him, I feel like I got to understand why he was the father that he was to me. You spoke about the transparency in your process. I wanted to just ask you a little bit about your interview with Father Gautier. Mm-hmm. And you say, I mean, you're transparent about the ethical questions that you debated before doing the interview. Thorson sent me a letter from Father Gautier's doctor who said that Gautier has Alzheimer's and that any information he gives does not reflect reality. When I interviewed Father Gauthier, we spoke for nearly two hours about his time at St. Michael's, his thoughts on residential schools, and allegations of abuse. And now the Oblates were telling us to disregard everything he said. 
Can you just tell us why in the end you decided it was so important or that why you ended up reporting your interview with him? Yeah, that, I mean, I feel like so many journalistic ethical questions, you know, it's far from black and white, you know, very often we are just wading through all of the different shades of gray. And I think in that instance in particular, um, the fact that it's 2022 and that he was one of only two surviving priests who's still alive from St. Michael's was a really big factor in us deciding to, to publish that interview with him. And also the fact that he was a principal at the school, uh, the last Oblate principal, uh, so in a position of leadership uh, and accountability. And the fact that so few people were ever even asked about the alleged abuse that happened at St. Michael's. And, and the fact also that, you know, he himself was credibly accused of abuse, sexual abuse by 16 children that he was in the position of caring for and being responsible for. Those were all really big factors in our decision to publish the interview. And that's also why I feel this urgency, like the window for any kind of accountability for survivors is closing. And it was really important for us to be able to hear from him directly, but also now these stories need to be urgently told now. Interesting. You know, we're a journalism school, so students are constantly grappling with these kinds of issues. When you're reporting on topics like sexual assault, it's it's so tricky on so many fronts. How much detail do you go into? What is what is exploitation? But on the other hand, what is what you really need to reveal so that the story becomes understandable and um drives home exactly, you know, how bad things were. And you were walking this tightrope the whole time. What kinds of considerations were going through your head and how did you deal with them? I think, I mean, this is also another example of why I think it was so important to have more than one Indigenous journalist on our team. This is actually the first time in my career, my 20 plus career that I actually worked with other Indigenous producers and reporters on a project like this. Um, so closely. And I think that because, as we said, you know, so many Indigenous families have been affected by this legacy, it wasn't only my decision. We weren't only relying on, you know, my experience. And, and so I think because we have the lived experiences that we have as Indigenous journalists, it really put us in a position to kind of navigate some of those ethical issues around how much, uh, you know, how graphic do we want to be? And it was a very difficult thing to, to navigate, you know, especially in episode four, which we essentially turned over to survivors. You got strapped just about every day. Those army belts, they're, I don't know, Maybe two and a half, three inches wide. There was a little girl. I remember her getting so many beatings because she wouldn't quit talking Dene. <sighs> She'd get beat so bad that sometimes she'd be knocked out on the floor. You know, it's largely non-narrated. Survivors are speaking about their experiences in their own words, in their own voices. 
we heard so many different depictions of really terrible graphic abuse. And it's this really difficult decision of wanting to respect their agency and reflect the reality that they told us about life at the school. And also to be really clear, like to really, you know, sometimes the language is so fuzzy. It's like, well, what actually are we talking about here? So, you know, how can you let them be clear and yet also protect them? Yeah. You know, I think that it's, it's a really different feeling when you're sitting across from someone and you were able to make eye contact and be with them in those moments and then also help them out of those moments. You know, I feel like the guiding principle for us was that we wanted to reflect the realities that they told us. We wanted to reflect the stories they told us and that it might be difficult for people to listen to, but sticking as close as we could to the truth and helping people realize and understand the truth that they shared with us was the most important thing. What has the reaction been? Have you gotten reaction from your family and even from the wider Indigenous community and just regular listeners? Yeah, right from the very beginning of the first episode, you know, I was hearing from other Indigenous people in my community, but also that I'd never met before, who said that this was their story too that they had had these experiences with their mother, their father, their grandfather, their grandmother, and that it felt like I was talking about them. And it really helped me, like it hit home for me how this is every Indigenous person's story. Like I felt the weight of that. I think that's also been, you know, part of the reason why we're doing this work, right? That there's been this um, underrepresentation of Indigenous stories. It's like we don't exist in journalism or we haven't existed in journalism right. for a really long time and getting to actually see ourselves reflected and tell our own stories and also that we're the ones to be telling it. My family, like I was so anxious about how they would receive the podcast and, 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 I, and I had been obviously talking to them throughout. I didn't want them to feel surprised by anything that was in the podcast. So I was letting everybody know what was going to be in it. And her, my favorite story is my auntie Lois said that the day the podcast came out, she came home and she sat in my uncle Ernie's chair and he had passed away recently. That was my dad's brother. And she said, I sat in his chair and I grabbed my phone and I saw the first one. I watched the first one. And then I saw there was another one and I watched that one too because this was the first podcast she had ever listened to. And so I was kind of imagining as she's sitting there like watching the screen while it's playing in her ears. It was such a cute image. But I think for my family, it's, you know, it's been difficult as well because this, this brings up a lot of painful memories, but also I think everyone has expressed gratitude for helping us all to learn about each other and learn our truth. Do you think there might be a season two? I mean, I think that we are committed to like continuing uh, this work for sure as a podcast. Look, we're, we're working on another season of Stolen. But in terms of the work we started with Surviving St. Michael's, I think that our team is committed to continuing that in some capacity. The IAP records being the most comprehensive um, documentation of what survivors experienced in residential schools. All of those records are going to be destroyed in five years. So that was the Supreme Court ruling that was made before. And I think there's like a movement to try to create some legislation to save the IAP records. And so we're all 
kind of brainstorming and thinking about how we can find partners to help assist in that because we all understand like just how easily history is forgotten and this history is being actively destroyed. Thank you again to Connie Walker, a 2023 DuPont winner for talking to us. And remember, we're open for entry until July 1. Go to dupont.org for more info and to enter. This episode has been brought to you by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and Columbia Journalism School. It was produced and engineered by recent J School grad, Alyssa Castles. We'll be back soon with another episode from On Assignment and we'll feature another inspiring winner from this year's DuPont Awards. But until then, we'll be looking for your entries soon. Until next time.